Welcome to the Diversity and Fellowship Podcast, where we discuss how the gospel brings us together and keeps us together. We are your hosts, Kenny King. And I'm William Marshall, and we want to encourage Christians to think through how our lives and our churches can be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Diversity and Fellowship podcast. Hey, uh, everybody. We're thankful for you tuning in to our latest episode. Uh, today, we are looking at black church, white church, or the reality of the church in America. This uh, this has been called Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, Sunday morning... Um, well, I know everybody doesn't gather at 11 o'clock anymore. Right, but, we're at 1045. So. Yeah, there you go, right? The The Sunday morning hour where churches gather has been called the most segregated hour. It was Martin Luther King who called it that. Kenny, do you have that quote for us? Yeah, Dr. King back in 1960 on Meet the Press, he said, and I quote, I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies. That 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. Wow. Yeah. So, What was the date again that he said that? What was the year? 1960. Okay. He repeated it on several different other occasions, sure. but I think that was the first time he mentioned that. Okay. So... I think we're we all want to you know listen to that statement and say you know well maybe that's you know exaggerated or whatever or even say well that was 1960 right thank goodness right we we got it all figured we've out got now. it all figured out we've uh, we've moved on from that uh, you know we fought for equality that that's happened and I and I think in one sense we can say since 1960 you know uh, racial relationships have improved in our country. Right. But the thing that baffles me is I still think the most segregated hour would still be Sunday morning. Right. We still have this reality of primarily black churches and primarily white churches. Yes. Um, now, granted, I, we, we obviously we acknowledge that that's not um, 100% the case, right? There are churches. Absolutely. And, and, and not, but... But it just seems like overwhelmingly there, there's still this struggle between um, for figuring out how to to not be segregated on Sunday morning, right? Right. So let me let me start with as we talk about this today, as we begin this discussion today, how did we get here? What 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 are some of the factors maybe that or the history that kind of led us to this point? Right. So we know how you know, black people came to this country, right, you mm -hmm. know, through through the slave trade. And as they were in, in servitude, um, most slaves, most black people were introduced to Christianity in this country by their white slave masters. Mm -hmm. And we know that they weren't necessarily trying to preach the gospel faithfully most of the time. Right, <laughs> right. right. It seems like a contradiction in terms. Right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but some of them were, were really genuinely, there were some pastors who were genu genuinely trying to yes. make sure that um, slaves understood about Jesus and, and the salvation that we have in him. And so um, during this time, we had a lot of um, even... Um, you know, churches made up mostly of slaves that were being led by 
former slaves. Um, mm-hmm. And you, we had at, during this time a former slave called George Liley, George Lyle, however you want to pronounce it, L-I-E-L-E. Mm-hmm. He would have been the first Baptist missionary. Uh, he would have been the first Baptist missionary, period, not the first black Baptist yeah, right. missionary um, cool to story. Jamaica in 1783. So that's pretty cool, right? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's great. something that we don't tend to learn about, but it's, it's it's a cool fact that, you know, the first Baptist missionary was an African-American former slave. Um, and so during this time, we had, you know, people being ordained, uh, black black people being ordained, generally leading um, slave you know, congregations and, and whatnot. You got Lemuel Haynes um, during mm-hmm. this time also in the North that was um, ordained, first black pastor ordained in the United States. Um, but what we have is, is that um, generally during this time is that the African-Americans in the church were considered second-class citizens. Right. And so they're usually being seated in, in segregated ways to where they're seated in the balcony or they're not allowed to do certain things. They can't um, take communion with with their uh, white members and whatnot. So you see a lot of pushback from that start to happen. Um, and and so different black denominations start popping up at this time. We have the AME Church starts um, in the early 1800s because they realized that they're second-class citizens. And this is in the North, not necessarily right. the South. AME uh, Church. African Methodist Episcopal Church. Right. Sure. Uh, that started during this time. Um, and so they just realized that um, they're being dominated by, by white members, and so they feel like we need to have our our own denomination where we can worship and we can express ourselves the way we want to express ourselves, and we don't have to feel like um, second-class citizens. Um, you, so we have a lot of these type of even, you know, black denominations, black churches being formed during this time. But then you had Nat Turner's rebellion in, in 18 in the 1830s. Uh, Nat Turner, former slave who was a pastor who starts to be radicalized and says, OK, well, God is leading me to overthrow uh, uh, the slave system. And so he goes out and, and him and a bunch of former slaves, uh, runaway slaves, go out and kill a bunch of bunch of slave masters and right. and white yes. people and whatnot and and so after that you have a lot of pushback in, in regards to having predominantly black uh denominations and, and congregations so they start passing laws that say that black people can't congregate with unless there's a white pastor unless there's somebody who's there to oversee what they're talking about what they're doing and so you have a lot of pushback from a lot of states saying that we don't want black people to congregate in large numbers Mm. without there being a white person to lead them. And so kind of fast forward past the civil war, you, you still have kind of this segregation mindset to where we need to be able to worship, uh, the way we want to worship, or we, we don't want black people worshiping with us. And so you, you start to see other denominations forming church of God in Christ formed, uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, which was kind of interesting because it was a denomination that came from the Azusa Street revival, and right. it was it was there there was diversity in that revival initially, but then uh, the white people who were part of the Church of God in Christ end up leaving that denomination, and it became a a predominantly black denomination from that. And so you just have um, Azusa Street that was. 1908, 1906, something. In California? California, right. Okay. And so you 
you you had that and it was diverse but then like I said sooner or later they not even a decade after right. it they decided that we didn't want to be we didn't want to have black people in leadership mm. and so the assemblies of god kind of come out of the church of god in christ during this time and so you we know the history of the southern baptist church we've yes. talked about that and so the southern baptist church um I mean, we just have to be honest, just being racist at that time. You had a bunch of um, black Baptists who were, who were like, we need to start our own, you know, denomination. And and so you have the National Baptists coming out of that National Baptists being formed from a group of uh, Baptist churches. And um, Dr. King ended up coming out of an offshoot of the natu- National Baptists. Okay. So, so that that's kind of how we've gotten to where we are now. Um, as you said earlier, we've made progress in a bunch of these areas. Um, um, back in 1998, it was probably like six percent of churches were considered diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're probably up to about twenty percent. Okay, twenty uh, percent of ch- uh, churches would be considered diverse, but that's still uh, a right. super minority that's right. that's <laughs> of right. churches yes. in in this nation that would be considered diverse. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that we've come to be okay with that. Yeah, right. And, and in, in some cases, we see we're actually um, going sliding back into being segregated. Mm. So my question would be, Brother William, should we be content with the way things are? Well, I think the obvious answer is no, right? I right. Mean, I, I don't think we should be content with it, and I and I um, and I and I think I mean I think that's a biblical response, right? It, it I do understand the tendency to want to say, well, you know, we're comfortable in this, you know, hey. That group's comfortable with that group. This group's comfortable with this group. This group over here is, you know, and so let's just all be comfortable and stay in our groups. The the problem with that, I think one of the main ones that the Lord really used to convict me is, you know, Jesus' prayer. I think we've mentioned it before, but Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6, uh, the model prayer, he says, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, this is Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we won't, we're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. And then he says, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. On earth as it is in heaven. And so I guess the thing that the Lord convicted me about that is we, we see that, you know, we see a, a picture, a clear picture in heaven where you have diverse believers, right, from every tongue and tribe and nation all gathering and, and worshiping the Lord and praising the Lord. And if, if we're following Jesus' model prayer, we're praying that that vision would come on earth just as it is in heaven. Right. Unless we fight for diversity and fight for our churches to not be segregated, I'm not sure how we can honestly pray that prayer, right? I mean, Amen. It, there, there's a sense in which if we're going to pray this prayer, which obviously we should, I mean, this is how Jesus, this is the model prayer. Jesus taught us to pray for this. If we're going to pray that, then we have to be praying and asking, Lord, help our churches to 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 be diverse help our churches to be more um more diverse than what they are i mean and again we can we need to celebrate hey from 6% to 20% that yeah. is great right i mean that is uh, the lord the lord's moving the lord's working um but i think it's right for us all to kind of take a good hard look at ourselves and a good hard look at what we're doing and um and make sure that we're not because i do think you're right there is this tendency to kind of slide back and, right. and stay comfortable and 
really not not move out in this. And so, so that kind of so yeah, I would I would say obviously we we shouldn't we should not be content with that. I'm assuming you would agree with. Yeah, I would idea. I would agree with that. And Dr. King, right after he talked about how the church was the you know how Sunday morning was the most segregated hour in the Christian church. Um, right after that, he says, I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated and any church that stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it fails to be a true witness. And I think that goes directly to what you're saying. If, if Jesus told us to pray this way and he expects his followers to pray this way. And the reality of heaven is that there's every tribe and tongue and nation there. Then we are not really reflecting um, what the body of Christ is. We're not reflecting uh, heaven on earth. We're, we're, mm. And when, when we're asking for um, God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, we're not actually doing it. So I think Dr. King is right. I think you're right. You know that. If we are not being intentional about fighting for diversity and fellowship, fighting for hmm. diverse churches, then we're failing to be a true witness to what Jesus has told us to do. Right. I think a lot of people at this point would say, we totally agree with you, right? We, we understand that we agree with you from the passage. We, we hate the ugly history that's there. Um, right. Yet... And and I think then they would say, but we're totally open, right? So if you're a white church, you know, if you're a primarily white church, they would say, we're totally open for black people to come and join our church. Right. We're totally open to that. Yes. Never, we would never turn anybody away. You, you know, we'd never do anything like that. I think probably a majority of your black churches would say, we're totally, you know, if a white person wants to join our church, we would never turn them away. They're welcome to do that. Is that enough? I think the problem with that thinking and... I'm going to lead with grace and say that they, they really do mean that if someone of a different uh, ethnicity come to their church, they would welcome them. I think the problem with that is that we are we tend to expect no matter what ethnicity, if they're even the same ethnicity. Right. Mm. We tend to expect people to conform to what we already are, to what our our identity is in whatever church we are. Hmm. And, and there is some, some ways in which there should be conformity in a body uh, of believers, right? Uh, We should generally share the same beliefs about primary things, Hmm. but there's other ways in which we want people to conform that it would be unbiblical that, that in a sense we were trying to make them uh, white or we're trying to make them black instead of um, allowing them to be themselves and then all we're creating is discomfort um, for everybody involved in, at that point in time. So I would say that that would not that's not enough. Yeah. It's not enough to be open to um, having people of different ethnicities in your church. It's more important that you're willing to um, make some changes yeah. um, in the midst of that. Also, um, what else would you say? ways that which we can labor for this diversity and fellowship. Right. So that kind of leads us to what, yeah, what are we, if, if just kind of saying, uh, yeah, we're open to it is maybe not enough, right? If we say we want to try to pursue it. 
Right. You know, what are some things that we can do? I, I think one of one of them, and you and I have talked about this a lot, is um, we have to build partnerships with, you know, now we, we started, we've talked about building just friendships, right? I mean, it starts with, right. hey, let's just go grab something to eat. You know, you're different from me. Your experience is different. Your ethnicity is different. You know, whatever. Let's get to know each other. Let's hang out. I mean, that's kind of bare minimum, right? You just yeah. build relationships with people who don't look like you, you know? And I think for leaders in churches, I mean, that's that's critical, right? Build build right. relationships with other pastors, build relationships with other leaders um, in, in these other churches. And so that's kind of, you know, we've used the language of kind of, um, kind of a, a partnership circles, you know? And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the easiest, simplest circle, you know? Then maybe as you meet, as you talk, as you get, as you build a relationship, you realize, hey, we could we could do some service together, right? Um, we we might uh, try to do a ministry together. We might try to help a local pregnancy resource, you know, together. Let's do a fundraiser and we'll do that together. Or, um, you know, let's let's do something that's like a school fest or you know help help people yeah. in those types of ways. And then and then right, so you've kind of that's kind of a different circle of partnership. And then if you know if the if if some other things fall in place like doctrine and uh, those types of things, then you can you can take that partnership even further, which is what we were able to do in the, in kind of the uh, doing the um, shared services. Right now, as you move to each different circle, there there could be some reasons why you don't faithfully need to do like you don't need to make that next step. Absolutely, you know? uh, and so. Explain that to us. How? What are some? What are some? De- you know, what are, what are some ways we just need to be careful in in kind of building those partnerships? Right. We we want to make sure that we do we share uh, the same beliefs about Jesus Christ and right. and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so um, we don't. We want to make sure that um, you may be able to go to lunch with somebody, but you may not be able to have joint services with the group if you don't have the same idea about what the gospel is. That's right. Um, but I think it's still important to to still have lunch and still, you know, have mm-hmm. build those relationships and still find ways in which you can partner. I would say also just um, the differences in how you do church may be um, too too wide, too mm-hmm. different in, in order to um, in order to do joint services or in order to even um, con- consider merging. So you, you may have a a church that is um, congregational rule versus a church right. that is uh, more denominational ruled, and right. and it would be very difficult um, in those circumstances if you're not like-minded as far mm-hmm. as um, who should have authority in the church. Then it's going to be hard to um, to merge, but that doesn't mean that you can't um, find ways in which to serve. Right, right, and yeah. we've, I mean. Just historically, we've just tried to find ways in which to do that, um, even though you you don't you know that there is probably no possibility of of a merge yeah. happening. You can still yeah. do things within the community that shows the community, mm-hmm. hey, that hey, a black church and a white church or whatever other ethnicity um, there is that they can work together for the That's common right. good. They can yeah. um, glorify glorify God and exalt Christ by um, working in the community together. Yeah, and I think in a very real sense, I mean, the, the community will be able to see this is God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven yes. through these churches working together, right? Right. Um, now, again, we obviously we don't just say, oh, yeah, we're working together. You know, we want to be careful <laughs> that we don't just, yeah, we got that figured right. out. And, you know. Not be content with that. So speak to, 
uh, speak to the issue of what are what are some other things? We've kind of talked about these partnerships. You know, you build build some partnerships. But what are some other things that we can kind of do if we say, you know, if we're a leadership in a church and we say we want to make sure that we're not just open, but we're we're actually pursuing diversity. Yes. What what are some things maybe that could that you could do um, to try to to try to help pursue that goal? You know, one thing I found that was interesting as I was um, doing some research on this is that. A, a majority, like a super majority of pastors feel like that the church should be more diverse. Mm. But there is a minority of people in the pews who feel like that the church shouldn't necessarily pursue it. Mm, okay. And I think the disconnect here is that most pastors, even though they believe the church should be diverse, they're not necessarily preaching on it. Okay. I remember reading an article recently in NPR that talked about how some pastors never preach on on racial injustice or mm-hmm. or anything of that nature or, or bring up ethnicity at all from the word of God. And I would say that that's that's probably that's problematic. Right. right. It, it, when you see it in the text and you're not bringing it out in the text or you even have the opportunity as a point of application to bring it out, especially um, when you see it as a problem historically in our nation and if you're not addressing it at all from the pulpit then your people are going to think that it's not something that's important to you right and so first and foremost i would say that you you have to talk about it um from the pulpit Mm. if you say that you you want it you want it to happen you have to be intentional about addressing it in the pulpit now i'm not saying that you should make every sermon about it or that you should you know um, bend the text to fit and to to make it fit in in your sermon every week. No, but I think it it can come out naturally mm-hmm. in in your sermons at times. I would also say as um, as leaders in the church, we have to be um, intentional about examining the way we do things right in, in within our churches. We need to be intentional about. Um, does the way that we we sing songs, does the way that we do our programming, is it detracting people from mm-hmm. actually coming to our church? I remember having conversations with um, brothers who were white and they were like, well, this black family visited one time, but they didn't come back anymore. And it's like, well, I mean, there could be a bunch of different reasons why, but sure. there also could be that... Um, they they feel like that there's no room for them to mm. actually um, have their culture expressed during right. worship. They yes. just feel like, okay, well, well, they're going to do things their way, and I'm not going to be able to um, have my culture expressed in worship. Mm. And I would say that it's the same is true in, on the other end, like mm. a, a white white couple, white family goes to a black church, are they going to be able to have their culture expressed in the music? Are are we holding so tightly to our expressions mm. and to our traditions that we're unwilling to be flexible in the way that we do things? So I think it's important that we examine to make sure that we're not being overly offensive, uh, unnecessarily offensive right. in the way that we, you know, um, do things. Yeah. I would say an example of that would be um, maybe patriotic services mm, yeah. in the white church and, and maybe even 
an overemphasis on Black History Month in the in the in the Black Church would be something that would make um, people un- unnecessarily uncomfortable, and right. they're not necessarily uh, biblical things that we tend to hold to so tightly that it, it just won't won't produce um, hmm. won't produce the diversity that we seek. Yeah. You perhaps just offended all of our listeners. That's by those the intention. Two, those two, those two statements. Yes, there, but that was good. No, that's, that's good. I, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that's helpful. We have to be looking hard at ourselves, understanding that if people are going to be welcome and feel like a part of our fellowship, then they have to. Un- they they have to. Uh, you have to realize that they haven't had the same experiences that right we've had. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you may look at American history and think, man, beautiful, wonderful, great. Everything that's happened has been wonderful. But, uh, you know, a lot of our black brothers and sisters are not maybe not going to feel that way. Right. You know, uh, and so so you have to be aware of that, you know, yeah. and, and, and at least try to try to I thought the language and I've heard this used before, but creating space. Right. Creating That's a, good. Yeah. Creating a place where, you know, people can feel feel welcome to be themselves. Um, and I, I think that's important. Uh, I think, you know, I think one of the things I would add, I mean, obviously, I would love to see, you know, right now, even in our uh, denomination and in, in, uh, the Southern Baptist denomination, I mean, there there's a real heart for wanting to plant churches. Uh, there's kind of a new movement to want to revitalize churches. Right. I mean, I would love to see kind of a, a movement, a heart that, that maybe goes along with, with those, with either church planting or revitalization, but really has a hunger for, hey, let's... Let's try to plant diverse churches. Amen. Or in our fighting to revitalize a church, let's try to revi- revitalize in such a way to be diverse. You know, if our community, if we look around and our community is diverse, and we have, you know, only we're only we're only made up of one particular you know ethnicity, let's start asking the question: What could we do? What could we do to try to try to move in that direction? Right. Uh, I mean, one of the crazy things that the Lord did with us, but I, I think is important, uh, at least for us so far, is that. We are co-pastors. Yes. There is a black pastor and a white pastor at the church. Right. Because it is so difficult for a single white pastor to have black members or a single black pastor to have uh, white members, right? There, there's yeah. there's challenges in that. And I know that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about how our situation is, is, is rare and unique. Um, but there is, you know, at this point, I think that's really helped us um, in our situation in that it's it's not a... Um, I think what that communicates to the congregation is there is going to be a space for both ethnicities. Right. Right? Because there's a pastor, right? And it doesn't mean, like, Kenny's the pastor for the black people here and I'm the pastor for the white people. No. like <laughs> No. And I don't think people expect that or want that. Right. But there is a there is representation. There is, you know, because, I, again, I think one of the things you have to be leery of and careful about is you know the especially like the white the white churches kind of said hey we'll hire a black music guy yeah and that'll kind of solve the issue or we'll we'll, we'll hire a black um youth pastor or, or something and and although i think that can be great you know in times and that can work uh sometimes you have to be careful that that doesn't communicate even yeah. something like, hey, we're willing to hire a guy, but we don't really want to make him pass. Right. right. We don't we, want him to say, have the exact same authority. Right. right. I mean, we want to, you know, keep, <laughs> keep him, you know, and so I, I think that that can be uh, can be hurtful at times and discouraging. And I, I know that's not the intention at all. No. Uh, but sometimes that happens. So, well, cool. All right. We got to move on. Uh, uh, great stuff. Hope that was helpful. Uh, do do a couple things as our as normal. What is our what's our resource? 
you have a resource for today? I do have a resource yes. for today. Let me pull that up real quick. Uh, the resource for today would be a book by Michael Emerson, which is where I got some of the statistics from that I spoke about earlier. Michael right. Emerson, he's a good, he's a guy that's been working on this for a while. And so the book would be Divided by Faith, Evangelical Religion, and the Problem of Race in America. This is not a book I've read, but this is a book that I've been wanting to read. Michael Emerson, he's just a good resource about why we are the way we are and how we can move forward. So I, I, I really recommend this book and um, Great. Uh, hope that we can, you can dive into it and, and learn more about how we can um, be more diverse. Cool. All right. So we're almost out of time, but we will. We do want to get in our crazy question for the week. Uh, crazy question this week. Kenny, what was your best class in college? Best class in college. So my best class in college would have been actually a religion class. Oh, my uh, goodness. My background, you remember being an atheist and now Tell everybody where you went. and you Went know. to the University of Missouri, Mizzou Tigers. And oh, so, yeah. um, you know, you got to take all these extra classes, which is um, – a waste of time for me. Oh, but waste of time. It's a way to broaden your wow. horizons, right? I encourage it's, all of our college right. listeners, right? It's a way to broaden your horizons. So I had to, I had to take a religion class, and I was an mm. atheist at the time. Interesting. Right. And yes. so um, I got to learn about Buddhism and Hinduism mm. and all the other isms and whatnot yes. and Islam yes. and all those things. And so I was, I was like, all of these things are ridiculous. And we got to Christianity. I was like, well, this is just too good to be true. Wow. Right. You yeah. know, you can just do all the sinning and then you believe in Jesus and everything is forgiven. Sure. And so I was like, well, you know, I know I know I've done some stuff wrong, but mm-hmm. uh, and all the rest of them seem like you were just working. You're trying to work your way into heaven and you never had any confidence if you were ever doing enough to get into heaven. Mm. But I was still like Christianity is too good to be true. And if there is a God, it's probably that one. Because okay. at least, you know, there's some sort of atonement for, right. for your sins, justice, right? right? There's the some is, sort of yeah. justice there. But I still wasn't ready to uh, really stop being an atheist or, or trust in Jesus. So I, that's when I became an agnostic, probably after that okay. class. Nice. Because Christianity made the most sense. sense. It was just mm-hmm. too easy for me. Nice. Very interesting. Right. Uh, yeah, so mine is not nearly as interesting or spiritual at all. Um, I took a class called uh, Mystery and Detective Fiction. Hey, hey. Yeah, so I love that. I had all these great classes like the New <laughs> Testament, theology, all this, and that's the one I picked. But, right. Uh, I think I think mostly because it gave me a love for fiction. Um, yes. Which I continue. I mean, I'm a very faithful patron to the library. I think mm-hmm. libraries are wonderful gifts. Uh, and should be um, should be used as much as possible, but but man, it just really did. I mean, it was it was probably the only class where like I would read ahead. Right. I mean, normally I'm like <laughs> just doing everything I can to get the reading done, but I mean, I'm reading these books and I'm loving them. I was you know I had to read books like Frankenstein and uh, G.K. Chesterton's The Man Who Was Thir- The Man Who Was Thursday, which is a great book. Nice. I still have not figured it right. out, but it's a great book. <laughs> So that was uh so that was a that was one of my favorite classes just because it gave me a love for for reading fiction. Cool, man, it's good stuff. All right, well, thanks so much for joining with us today, and uh, we can't wait to talk with you next time on Diversity and Fellowship. See y'all.
Thanks so much for listening to the Diversity and Fellowship Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us your questions and your comments to diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. That's diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, keep laboring by God's grace to be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ.